You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. This week on Living Writers, we are heading to the archives. Back in December 2008, I had the opportunity to talk with poet Adam Zagajewski when he visited Ann Arbor. Then he said, I try to be faithful to my life. We are changing and the writing is changing too. On March 21st of this year, Adam Zagajewski died in Krakow, Poland at the age of 75. He will be missed. I loved our conversation and hope that you will enjoy it too. And now, Adam Zagajewski from December 2008. I want to be alive. Sung by Miss Katie Barrett. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, I'm very pleased to have Adam Zagajewski here. Thanks for coming, Adam. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) So good to see you. Um, This program is being taped on the 4th of December, 2008. As way of introduction, I'm going to read the biography in the back of Adam's latest book. May I call you Adam? Sure. Yes. Um, Thank you. Eternal Enemies, and that's just out with FSG this year, isn't Mm -hmm. it, Adam? Yeah. So hot off the press. Hardcover. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Adam Zagajewski was born in... Lvov. Poland. In 1945, his previous books include Tremor, Canvas, Mysticism for Beginners, Without End, Two Cities, Another Beauty, and A Defensive Ardor, all published by FSG. He lives in Krakow, Paris, and Chicago. And now... We will fill in the rest. Uh-huh. <laughs> but where to start, really? <laughs> so well, let's interesting. St- let, we may start with the cities. Um, actually, I don't live in Paris anymore. Oh, okay. But it's, you, but you had been in residence yes. there part, since 1981. Uh, no, I actually I lived in Paris for 20 years between 1982 and 2002. Mm. As your main residence, and then you would um, spend some time in the States, would you, or what was that? Yes, I I went to Paris in December 82, um, and then in 1988 I started to teach in Houston uh, in the writing program. So every year I would go for one semester to Houston, always in the spring or mm. in winter, but they don't have winter in Houston, so <laughs> they call it spring. It hardly count. <laughs> yes. So for, for 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 many years, this was my my system between Paris and Houston. That's not. That's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> no, this was pretty good. <laughs> and then um, then we moved back to Krakow because Krakow used to be my it was my college town um, and then after a while I I moved my 
my classes from Houston to Chicago. So now I teach at the University of Chicago in the fall, not in the spring. And that's a real fall. It's not. Mm. Yes, the uh, wind coming off the lake yes. there makes it quite cold. <laughs> and, right. and, so, and so you spend some time in, in Chicago now and yeah. Krakow. Yeah, Krakow is my, it's, it's the 10, 10 months or 9 months a year and the rest is Chicago. And do you feel like that that is is very important to have your base be in Poland to be in the in the in the country of your your birth uh, because it seems like it uh, it's from my reading Adam it it says that when you were um, you were born in Lvov am I saying that correctly I hope yes Lvov. you are yeah. and, <laughs> but then the soon after your birth the Red Army came and and so it became part of the Soviet Empire and your family was forcibly moved then to another town that begins mm-hmm. with a G. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you everything, yes. But actually, <laughs> it's, very, it's complicated. Uh, actually, the Red Army came before I was born. The okay. city was had a very dramatic fate uh, during the World War II, um, almost too dramatic for this, you know, winter afternoon in, in Ann Arbor. It was first um, occupied by the Soviet Army uh, be- because of the the treaty between the Nazis and the, the, the Soviets. Then, it, um, then the, the Nazis came, uh, and then the, the Soviet army came back and actually liberated the city from the Nazis, but not from itself, so it stayed there. And so when I was born, the city was practically not a part of Poland, but was a, already um, a part of the Soviet Union. And this is why my family, as many other families, had to leave the city. And the city then took on something very mythical then for you, it seems, uh, in your life and, and, and in your writing. Uh, is that yes. fair to say? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And not, not right away when I was... When I was a young poet, I I was preoccupied with other things, but it sort of slowly grew on me that this the loss of a city, which I sort of pretended to be mine, but I lost it, and and then the city um, changed into this mythical, wonderful kingdoms that I lost, and you know, there's nothing better for for a writer to have something lost. (laughs) (laughs) Especially the the melancholia that runs through the poets, right? You have to have that sort of as a touchstone. So you have it as this this place. Um, but But you have revisited the, the I have yes now now it's pretty easy now as you know um, Ukraine is now an independent state so now it's not as part of the Soviet Union which doesn't exist any longer but it's a part of Ukraine and um, the relationship between Poland and Ukraine is very good very friendly so there are no problems with visiting this Did city. you ever go when there it was problematic because it seems like for in letter uh, an ode to to multiplicity you describe the the main persona as a problematic person mm-hmm. so i see you as not someone who would shy away like if it was a problem you would even go towards it then mm-hmm. well yes i did i i my first trip um to love um 
took place when I was um, 24, and this was still in the deep Soviet Union. Yes, yeah, so I saw the Soviet, the Soviet layer of the city. You still see some traces of it. It's, and the Soviet layer is not nothing very beautiful. It's just because the of, architecture of the blocks or. Well, that's also, but this is on the peripheries. The, the center of the city was never destroyed. The, the war was very cruel for the city, but not for the architect, just for, for, for human beings. The, it was one just of the, for that, right? Just for, <laughs> just that, for that, yeah. It was one of the most cruel, cruel places for the Jews, and the Holocaust was really terrible in, in Lvov. But also non-Jewish people were were first deported by the Soviets and then by the Germans. But it's something that you don't see because the city is very well preserved. And it's a beautiful city. It has a lot of old architecture, many Baroque churches. So it's it's a there's a strange contrast between the the ocean of suffering that that uh, befell the city in during the war and and the beauty of it. Hmm. And so and it is interesting that it's something that that has grown the city of I mean obviously you were connected to it then even from when you were very young when you were 24 but you say that it's it's grown for you in what it it means and what it means in your your work with the poems from your early from your very young days as a poet those were concerned more with speaking speaking some sort of would it be the truth to political situations of the time is is that yeah what you felt yeah. like you were doing was it sort of a mission that you had mm-hmm. the way you saw yourself your calling? yeah yeah, yeah you, you see it very well yes in the beginning i was um i was obsessed with this political mission of poetry and um i still take it seriously and um i couldn't i wouldn't be able to do it for you know many decades for for the entire life but as an as an important episode it's 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 something that i'm still regarding as a uh, as a very important part of my of my writing yeah and uh, i was not alone there was a, an entire generation of poets or a group of poets who 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 had the same feeling that this is what poetry is for that, that we have to do some social and political critique um, and only slowly later, I, 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 I still, I, I, it was never a kind of sharp abandoning of this, but a kind of gradual um, turning to, to to other subjects as a, as a way of, of of speaking. And so, what do you find then? It's it's obviously then some some longing and and loss that are some of your concerns. Is there a way? To talk about what what you're doing now, like like there is that way to talk about the poems of your your youth, mm-hmm. or not? Is that maybe that's a question for another conversation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, simply when I was young, um, it was easily definable. It was um, centered on this political. Um, critique. Now, um, now I try to not to have any kind of program, not any kind of ideology. I just, I just try to to be faithful to to my life. You, you know, each each writer, both in poetry and fiction, I think has a kind of 
faithfulness to what what's going in, in in his or her life in terms of you know we are changing and and of course the writing is changing too hopefully yes yes <laughs> yeah hopefully um I, I thought it was interesting that that one of your your earlier poems uh, that that you had written um, became something that soothed people after September 11th in this country when it was printed in the New Yorker. Your poem, "Try to Praise the mm. Mutilated World." Well, it's not a very early poem. This this poem was written in. Uh, it was actually written a year and a half before September 11th. Oh, so I see. It, yeah, okay. it's it's not an early part. I'm sorry, my no, no problem. <laughs> not that it seems. <laughs> I was like, God, he is you know ahead of his time for sure. <laughs> but interesting though, it was written then. In fact, before before the event. That yeah, it was so. actually written in Houston uh, during one of my w- winter slash spring semesters in Houston. And so there are dark times in Houston as well, then. No, that, no not really. It's it, this mutilated world. It's just—it's more for me the world of my childhood. This is uh, this is what I remember from my childhood. You know, the ruins from the war, and um, and I just when I grew up, when I much later, I I realized that the ruins are not the normal situation of humanity but when i was a child i thought the ruins are just typical that you right just playing out in the ruins yes, go on adam <laughs> yes yes I, I thought this is the, the how the world is mm-hmm. and then you come to america and you're like hmm, well, even this, before coming the world to america, is like strip malls <laughs> to, go actually, play in the parking lot <laughs> well my fir- my first trip to the west uh, took me to switzerland which is just Especially then, it was obnoxiously clean and uh, (laughs) perfect. I I was just shocked. That's how I feel about Canada sometimes. Uh (laughs) Well, Adam, let's take a short break and we'll be back. Um, You're listening to Living Writers today on the program. So happy to have Adam Zagajewski here. We'll be back.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Adam Zagajewski. Um, Adam, thanks for being here. Sure. So, so we've been talking about elements of your biography so far, but I'm sure some people are, are saying, well, you know, even if I need a, a history lesson, it's not your responsibility um, to, to give us the summary to speak on no, behalf I, of I like doing it. <laughs> okay. We can go on. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe, um, maybe we can bring in some of your history with, and, and relationships with poets within your time, uh, mm-hmm. like Milos and, mm-hmm. and Herbert. Uh, and sure. Because but, I, you know, I always do this... Uh, when I teach in this country, I, uh, oftentimes I have brilliant students, but they're usually not so good on history. So it happens to me a lot to, to do this short history lessons. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you were so articulate with everything. <laughs> but it, maybe it's from, it's that plus with the practice of having mm-hmm. to, to no, no, just, provide it. No, that's fine. That's fine. It doesn't an- annoy you, as I see that it it very well could. Seeing that history has, was something that was uh, the historical moment is is sort of you don't believe can be separated from the writing. At least something that I read ab- about what you believed um, mm-hmm. said this, and the way that your life from your very very beginnings, what history being a part of these moments in history. So I would think that that might also lead to some impatience uh at the at the lack of knowing mm-hmm. or even the lack of realization that you you don't even have it there's an absence of knowledge just sort of no no you, you know i it's a rather envy on my part if we, you know lucky you are you don't need to know history so well uh yeah, I, for my part, I, I think that history, I, I think that we are historical, that we are deeply historical. And uh, it doesn't mean that I love history. I, for me, writing is rather like trying to to fight against history. But to fight against it, I have to know it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so... How important was it, for example, meeting um, these these other poets in in your life? Like, is it in a, in a sense because I, I read your essay in your collection by FS, uh, published by FSG, a defense of ardor, where you where you're talking about Herbert and mm-hmm. and your time with him, and there's also these wonderful moments where you even have a there's you're invited to a dinner party and then he he refuses to speak to you in a way and just how you analyze that uh like what was just in that punishment and and was it about a a book that you had written and if so the chapter that he might be angry about was some which you hadn't even Mm -hmm. the other collaborator had written Mm -hmm. or so Mm -hmm. um so these moments like how uh you speak of these people lovingly and knowing for example herbert um you talk about his life almost like where he's he's walking with his sketchbook into a museum very it seems like very intimate knowledge are there, is that because you were there with him or is it just because of your friendship over the years became deep enough so that you you know this about him um, first we we had many things in common we were born in the same city he was also born in this in this half-legendary city of Lvov. 
um, we were actually baptized in the same church, in, in, in the St. Anthony Church. Um, and he, he knew it too, so we had this, the, the, this, this in common. Um, he was, of course, a much older, a, a generation older. Um, I admired his, his poetry very much, and he, he came to my high school when I was 17, so he was practically the first living poet I, I saw. And since then I started to, to read him systematically, like every, every collection. And, and much, much later we became friends. It happened so that we lived for a while in Berlin, and then in Paris. So actually, we, I knew him much better in, in a more intimate way abroad than in Poland. And so I saw his, I knew about his daily life. I knew about, he was, he he had um, illnesses. He was not in a good health. So I, sometimes I even tried to, you know, to help him in, in as much as I could. So. It, it became a, um, a very close friendship, and and not not an easy one because of his illnesses. And, uh, but I think for every writer, for every poet, um, to meet an older writer uh, who, who you admire, and uh, this this I I like this relationship of um, have, having a master, having somebody that you you can listen to and and um i, I think that this is because in, in europe and uh, including poland there are no writing programs so you you don't have masters um in the sense of going to workshop and uh, listening to to an older poet it's it, it it happens in a much more informal way through friendships and so um, but is it something that you would even be conscious of? Like when you were a young poet, did you seek him out for this to fulfill this need in some way, maybe subconsciously, like or maybe subconsciously? But then I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's figure it out. <laughs> no, I was not very. No, it was not conscious for me. I, I just, you know, when when you are young or very young and you meet somebody who you admire, it's also part of snobbery. You know, you you want to be near somebody who is, who is um, so admired. But the, for the most part, it it was just this, you know, the admiration and and some and some you know, secret wish to maybe I will learn something from. <laughs> yes, yeah, b- because if you're already familiar with the poet's work, then mm-hmm. you have before meeting them. Even you have probably this this. Strange trust, or because if it's work that you can can see into in some ways, right? Although you 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 remember that, for example, Proust would say that there's nothing worse than to meet a a writer you admire, because then the person, the physical person, the 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 real person, is never on the height of the work. There's in, in a Proust novel, there's this character Bergot, who's a famous writer. The narrator admires him deeply, and then one day he he's meeting a strange person with a, with an ugly face and saying nothing interesting. And and later he learns this is Bergot. This is you know this is my my idol. So this 
it can happen too. Sometimes the genius is is in the work, and the, not necessarily on the. Yeah, you know, I, I think write, writers, <laughs> poets, and writers are are famously introverts. So uh, I think it happens a lot that they're not the 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 talkers, and they're not the people who who are great conversationalists. Uh, sometimes they are. But I see it rather as an exception. After a few drinks. <laughs> yeah, maybe after a few drinks or on a good day. You know. Exactly. Now that's that's mm-hmm. a fair way to say it. <laughs> and so, now looking back, uh, you have poems that are, for example, addressed to Herbert, or where he's he's very much in them. Is that the way he impacted your work, or do you feel like what you were doing? Because it seems like. At that time, you were absorbing everything, and to be near this person of ideas that you felt aligned with was important. So maybe it's just an organic thing that happens, or are you aware of something that how you started seeing your work shifted as well? Or mm. well, it's hard to say. Well, I think what's um, what's m- most important. I I was very lucky, and I think when I was very young, I. I I didn't really realize it uh, that um, this was this great moment for Polish poetry. There was these wonderful poets around. Miłosz was in California. Um, I, I met him much later, but I could speak to Herbert, to Szymborska. Um, and I thought this was, you know, normal. But so la- later I, I, I understood that this was something absolutely unique and exceptional about these great poets who could meet in the same r- room and, and, and talk each, uh, to each other. And so... Of course, you learn something, but it's very hard to define what. It's not you don't. You're looking for your own voice, so it's never you never steal the voice. You can steal everything, but not the voice. You can steal, you know, a metaphor or, um, but but never the voice. The voice is. I, I mean, that's the essence of writing to have to having a voice and. But this, this is something so mysterious. What does it mean to have a voice? That you you don't even dream of you know, of learning it. You just it happens or not. Yes, isn't that the case? It's and it's it's one of those intangibles that how do you even talk about it? You can know of it when it's there or or see, when you read it, but right, yeah. So I. And and yet, um, so probably you know not meeting great poets. Uh, it's really not a disaster for you, but if you can meet them, it's 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 a great thing. So even if we don't know what does it actually produce in terms of of influence, we don't know. Sometimes you know, sometimes I think that uh, you know, like Proust, it's maybe better just to read the text. <laughs> but then I think no, no, no. So many hours with these great people. Yes, in, in the life of the imagination, being with someone through their words. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it, what must be amazing is that it was normal. Like you said, that is the most important thing from it, that, that it was normal for you to meet with these these people. Mm-hmm. It's just life. <laughs> right. Life mm-hmm. for Adam Zagajewski. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll take a short break, Adam. When we come back, perhaps you'll read a poem for okay. us and Good. okay so we'll be back here listening to living writers i'm t hetzel today adam zagajewski his latest book eternal enemies we'll be back 
Welcome back. If you're just joining us today, Adam Zagajewski is here in the studio. We have his latest. We have many of Adam's books here that FSG kindly sent. Eternal Enemies, the latest just out this year. Without End, New and Selected Poems, A Defensive Ardor, The Essays. I have a quick question. Working with a translator, because it seems like, are you writing in Polish then? Is that, or what, what, can you say mm-hmm. a little bit about your method? Sure, yes, I, I write mostly in Polish. The, recently I, I've written several essays in English, but never uh, never a poem, only, uh, only essays. But this book of essays was translated f- from the Polish. There may be one essay there which was written in in English, but, but the rest was translated. Or I, I'm not even sure of that. Oh, that's it, because it does, on the cover, it does say yes, no, no, Claire Cavanagh. Yeah, Claire Cavanagh is my, my wonderful translator, and she's doing both poems and, and essays, and she, she, she teaches at the Northwestern University. So you're in the same neck of the woods. Oh. We are in, the, in, the, in Chicagoland, yes. Yeah. yeah, no woods at all, really. Or, nah. <laughs> How is it working now with Claire Cavanaugh, whereas before, from your earlier, from this new and selected poems, it's meant uh, many people were were translating, or, or several, like C.K. Williams and mm-hmm. um, Renata Gurczynski. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Oh. Actually, Robert Haas was collaborating with Renata as He's well. He's been a friend of the show. He came I on. See. Yes, I as see. well. <laughs> And, mm. and spoke of Malosh then too, because uh-huh, sure. it was a year ago. And, yes, and with yeah. yes, and and actually, Bogdana and John uh, Carpenter yes. have also been on. Uh, we were talking I about see. Julia Hartwig's yes. um, in yeah. praise of the unfinished mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. So it's been very lucky. Mm-hmm. But back to the question: yes. <laughs> How is it working then? With because now it seems like that would transform the work somewhere where you're working. As the work is being produced, um, at much closer to its time, you're working with a translator as well. Whereas before, it seems like the work was in the world and these dif- in different books, and perhaps in Poland and in Germany and other places in France bef- before coming being translated here. Mm-hmm. So what yeah, is well, it like? But it hasn't changed so much. It's oh, still, okay. um, still the. A poem has to be written before it's translated. Oh, there's that's, always that. <laughs> that's, yes, that's the main thing. And maybe the time distance is shorter now, but it's still... it's still. Uh, but, you know, you asked me about the collaboration, and you expect that I'm sort of sitting in the same room with my translator, but that, that's that's not like this. No, no, she's she's so good, and, and I'm, she, she, I trust her so... You know, limitlessly, almost, almost limitless. But it would seem to me that even if you're writing them in Polish, the poems, which I think is really interesting, how you 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 say that there's a very, it's like there's a chasm between the writing of the poems and the thinking and the writing of the essays. But your English is phenomenal, and so mm. is it that you? Why do you not that I don't want to say why do you need Claire in a way like even if the the poems are coming into life in in Polish first as they I, I would believe they ought mm-hmm. to yeah what is it about having Claire in the process that you like oh that 
many reasons. First, I've, I just pretend that I, my English is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, that's true. I think if you speak in a foreign language, you can always choose a way of speaking, avoiding reefs. <laughs> that you, uh, no, but the main thing, no, the main thing is that um, only the only a native speaker is absolutely free in the as far as the idiomatic layer of language is concerned. And when you translate poetry and prose, probably it's the same. You have to have this this absolute freedom with with the idiomatic with things that are where there are no rules. Just one word is you know is sounds good and uh, another doesn't. So I I simply linguistically I'm not good enough to do it. That's the reason is that um, once a poem is finished for me it's it's finished. I I just I'm not so terribly interested in in doing the translation because. I'm much more interested in writing a new poem, so that's that's always this this feeling of oh of déjà vu, you know. Right. Oh, I know this poem. I'm saying this again. Right, <laughs> I'm not exactly. Sure why? Yeah. yeah, but even I could overcome this, but you know, simply this not having the skills and the, this this freedom of a native speaker. That's the main thing. Well, would you read us a poem now? And a, and a, and I'd like to say a poem of your choosing, because uh -huh. there's been some arm twisting. So I don't want to. <laughs> we can. <laughs> and then and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the. Oh, oh, thank you. Okay, so I read this poem to go to Lvov. To go to Lvov. Which station for Lvov, if not in a dream, at dawn, when dew gleams on a suitcase, when express trains and bullet trains are being born, to leave in haste for Lvov, night or day, in September or in March, but only if Lvov exists, if it is to be found within the frontiers and not just in my new passport, if lances of trees, of poplar and ash, still breathe aloud like Indians, and if streams mumble their dark Esperanto, and grass snakes like soft signs in the Russian language disappear into thickets. To pack and send off and set off, to leave without a trace at noon, to vanish like fainting maidens, and bardocks, green armies of bardocks, and below, under the canvas of a Venetian cafe, the snails converse about eternity. But the cathedral rises, you remember, so straight, as straight as Sunday, and white napkins, and a bucket full of raspberries standing on the floor, and my desire, which wasn't born yet, only gardens and weeds and the amber of Queen Anne cherries, and indecent Fredra. There was always too much of a Lvov. No one could comprehend its burrows. Hear the murmur of each stone scorched by the sun. 
At night, the Orthodox Church's silence was unlike that of the cathedral. The Jesuits baptized plants, leaf by leaf, but they grew, grew so mindlessly, and joy hovered everywhere, in hallways and in coffee mills revolving by themselves, in blue teapots, in starch, which was the first formalist, in drops of rain and in the thorns of roses, frozen for Sissia, yellowed by the window. The bells pealed and the air vibrated. The cornets of nuns sailed like schooners near the theater. So, so much of the world that it had to do encores over and over. The audience was in frenzy and didn't want to leave the house. My aunts couldn't have known yet that I'd resurrect them and lived so trustfully, so singly. Servants, clean and iron, ran for fresh cream. Inside the houses, a bit of anger and great expectation. Brzozowski came as a visiting lecturer. One of my uncles kept writing a poem entitled Why, dedicated to the Almighty. And there was too much of Lvov. It brimmed the container. It burst glasses, overflowed each pond, lake, smoked through every chimney, turned into fire, storm, laughed with lightning, grew meek, returned home, read the New Testament, slept on a sofa beside the Carpathian rug, there was too much of Lvov, and now there isn't any. It grew relentlessly, and the scissors cut it. Chilly gardeners, as always in May, without mercy, without love. Oh, wait till warm June comes with soft ferns, boundless fields of summer, i.e. the reality. But scissors cut it along the line and through the fiber. Tailors, gardeners, censors cut the body and the wreath. Pruning shears worked diligently as in a child's cut out along the dotted line of a roe deer or a swan. Scissors, penknives, and razor blades scratched, cut, and shortened the voluptuous dresses of prelates, of squares and houses, and trees fell soundlessly as in a jungle, and the cathedral trembled. People bade goodbye without handkerchiefs. No tears, such a dry mouth, I won't see you any more. So much death awaits you. Why must every city become Jerusalem, and every man a Jew? And now, in a hurry, just pack, always, each day, and go, breathless, go to Lvov. After all, it exists, quiet and pure as a peach. It is everywhere. Thank you. Thank you, Adam, for sure. reading that one. It just also occurs to me that I was, I was going to make a joke, and then I thought, you know, I shouldn't always, whenever something oh. so um, uh, 
it feels so much. Sometimes I think, oh, mm-hmm. and my joke was like, and now for it in Polish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, but then that's not a joke because then I think is, thank you for reading it in the English so that that I I could understand. Um, but how how strange because then it seems like we we should have the Polish as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, part of my. Um, I, the English language and you know being here so spending here so much time teaching knowing American poets it it all makes for me the English language and the, these translations so close to my heart that it's it's not like in you know it's different in I you know in German or in French but in in English I it's like a part of my personality you know, part of what I am with Adam Zagajewski, his latest book, Eternal Enemies. We'll be back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Living Writers on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, Adam Zagajewski. And I'd like to also say thanks to Hugh Stimson for engineering your beautiful poem. Thank you so much for reading. Sure. Um. And, and hopefully, listeners will probably have had hopefully the opportunity to have seen you in person um, because you're here in town doing a, giving a reading in Rackham amphitheater meeting with students <laughs> i'm going to detroit too i hear you're doing uh, just yeah everything. tomorrow tomorrow in the afternoon yeah mm-hmm. and, and that's to see the polish community in the city is that and writers that are of the area i think that's the, the yeah that's the idea mm-hmm. oh well wonderful you're a very busy man <laughs> you'll have to go back to krakow for a little uh, relaxation for soon. christmas right oh for christmas so yes. you'll be going back yes that makes uh-huh. that makes sense so adam i i know have you caught your breath enough to read um one of the poems from your new book yes would that be uh-huh. from eternal enemies yes the title sounds a little bit warlike but it's <laughs> the book is not such a <laughs> Such a warmongering book. I read a poem that's um, very different from the other one. This is a poem on a on a Greek poet, a young woman poet whose name was Irina of Telos, and I, I was just struck by her fate. She I, I, this is all 
I say this all in the in the poem. She died very young, and she still is remembered as a poet. It's one of the very few cases that from the antiquity to have somebody who died at the, at the age of 19 to have a few poems preserved, and, and so. So the title of the poem is Arena of Telos. She was 19 when she died. We don't know if she was lovely and flirtatious, or if perhaps she looked like those intelligent, dry girls in glasses from which mirrors are kept hidden. She left behind just a few hexameters. We suspect that she strove with the secret, uncertain ambition of introverts. Her parents laughed her to distraction. We speculate that she wanted to express some vast truth about life, ruthless on the surface, sweet within. About August nights, when the sea breathes and shines and sings like a starling, and about love, ineffable and precious. We don't know if she cried when she met darkness. She left only a few hexameters and an epigram about a cricket. How And how did you find her? Were you researching something else? Like, how, how did you come upon her? Well, I think that the word research is not really fitting for poets. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's more serendipity. It's just, you know, I think it's true for many, or if not all poets, that we always read five books at the same time. There's this insatiable curiosity. But research, you know, research, it's something systematic and, you know... You Put on to, the white coat. Right, <laughs> right. You have this elbow patches and... Uh, and you have um, you know what you are looking for. I think the the difference that when you're an artist, but you 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 don't know what you are looking for. You're just you have this hope that you find something interesting, not necessarily for your poems, just for yourself, for your for for your curiosity, for 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 you. Because how do you separate the poems from you, really? Because would you be alive? in that way if you weren't writing the poems. Um, can you say that again? Well, would, I'm just thinking, like, with, with, when you're writing poems, mm-hmm. it's such a part of who you, you are, I would think, Adam, that how if you weren't writing them, you, you wouldn't be alive in the same way. Oh, yeah. Well, probably, yes. I've never tried. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, please don't. Yeah, <laughs> after that living writer's thing. <laughs> But but what you say is very true. It also strikes me always as something really strange and and maybe interesting that you know for for, for the writer for for a poet uh, a poem written by by you is never an object. It never becomes an. Object. You never have a kind of cold objective look at at something you you wrote. Which is sometimes very irritating because you never know exactly what what do you write. It's a very strange handicap of 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 poets, maybe of writers in general, maybe of artists in general. Um, Not being able to separate. Yeah, I, I know so well 
pods written by my friends or, or, or by people I never met, but they're objects. They're perfectly objects. But something I've written is never an object for me. It, it has like a little particle of my soul attached to it, and I, it never goes away. That's a good thing you have a big soul. Well, I don't know how big it is. <laughs> but, you know, the, with the soul, when you give it away, it doesn't diminish, it grows. Yes. And that is that part of your, sort of your writer's manifesto or your, your human? Well, I try not to have any manifestos, not to write any manifestos. I, I have this, I did write several in my life. And I think a youthful literary manifesto. I've, I've reached an age when it's really unbecoming to write manifestos. Yeah, how so? Um, well, no, maybe there's nothing to do with the age. Simply, um, I see more and more um, attraction in having no, no uh, programs and just. And just trying to be yourself, you know, and and without any programmatic visions, uh, which is what you said at the beginning. Yes, which is so interesting. Yeah. yeah because why would you want it? with a manifesto? You're uh, by saying what something is, you're you're automatically almost making these boundaries around it somehow. But I may still, may I may sin again, you know, because I <laughs> I have this. Nerve for manifestos. <laughs> Hello. Oh. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, will you let me know? <laughs> uh, absolutely. I'll, I'll write you an email. Yes. <laughs> Come back on Living uh-huh. Writers, wherever you are. We'll pipe you in uh-huh. through Skype or something with a manifesto. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it just seems like a natural thing to the the essay. You said that you you are able to write the essay in English but not so mm-hmm. how how do you see because that's the mind working on the page in a very different way like with the with the poems is that is that the soul working on the page or because you you were quite clear about how it's different the poems will come mm-hmm. in Polish the essay, essays could come in either mm-hmm. um, yes I, I'm not quite aware what is the difference I, I think that the essence of of writing poems is that poems are always understated. There's always a, the poem. A poem never reaches the 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 this the entire page. It, it, it's always uh, it's in the in the middle of the page, and there are these islands of w- white paper around it. And maybe this is why a poem requires from from the writer a a linguistic perfectness which only a native speaker can have. Um, but the simple reason is that the this when a poem is being born, um, this first notes or ideas or or words or, or the first line it always comes to me in my in my language, never in English. And an essay has a lot to do with ideas, with with some constructions, with some structures. Um, so, and then I find it really 
so intriguing and interesting to write in a language that's not mine. It's just this practice. It's it's. Um, but writing poems, it's not a. It's it's you know it's deadly serious. <laughs> <laughs> he says as he's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because you said um, the title of your collection, the latest one, Eternal Enemies, it's not like it sounds, but for some reason, and maybe I'm always looking for if there's an anti-poem, I'm I'm all for it. I think that's a poem that really loves something very deeply about being a poem. That's why it's the op. Tri- I don't know. Um, so when you were saying Eternal Enemies, in some ways I felt like that meant some sort of it was some sort of love instead of what it would sound like on the surface. Um, it comes from a line from one of the poems, and the, it's time and love, eternal enemies, yeah. which I think is. I'm afraid it's true. <laughs> the poems will; these poems will be lasting. Who in knows? Some way. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Maybe just a few. I, I think you, when you look back at the parts of the past, um, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's a, a part who said that a major part is someone who writes maybe six great poems or maybe six good poems. It's a very strange disproportion between um, you know a life of writing and there are many poets who write hundreds of poems and maybe they are remembered for five of their poems and it's such a strange economy of of life and memory like how yeah. how someone's whole life is me- remembered yeah but but you know to be remembered for one line it's already something yes that's yeah do you feel a weight of being part of something because to think that there will be a poem or five poems or more than that 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 are lasting in some way that that people look to or turn to or find something of the soul that's reflected to them or something deep is that a weight then have you ever considered it um, or has it been sort of would that have been sort of negated because it, you began this as an idea of a vocation as going out to speak a type of truth to some falsity that you perceived in the public sphere, and then it progressed from there? Mm-hmm. Or do you feel a weight? I mean, because you're, you're recognized as, as a heavyweight, Adam, mm. right? In the poetry world. <laughs> I don't know, but this is not boxing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. <laughs> it's it's not weight. No, no. It just I think these kind of con- considerations of what what remains are things that you rarely think about. It just um, almost never. Uh, even if you're ninety nine and you, you know, I'm not yet, but. Uh, I think that when we, it's just no, it's not a matter of waiting. It's a matter of of, of reading, and I think one of the blessings, and there are some, there are some, you know, drawbacks too. But some of the blessings of being 
a part is you, you you always have the feeling you are still growing that it's I, I think the way to write poetry but this may be true for many other vocations is to defeat time is to try to to this to some extent to to defeat you you will never completely beat time but to not to allow yourself to be to be you know slowly less and less active less and less um there no it's it's just it's it's what we call creativity thank you adam thanks for being on living writers thank you t. Today. thank you it's such a pleasure to speak with you yeah. Thanks again to Hugh Stimson for engineering. Thanks for listening, Ann Arbor, for for streaming. You've been listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We've been speaking with Adam Zagajewski. Until next time. Original air date July 1, 2015 at 9am. Oh, the Woodstock, great. Okay, no, Joel, you can't go to Woodstock. You're nine years old. We're going to the opening of the new Century Store. Oh, yeah, on Echo Lane. Three days of peace, love, and pizza rolls. We're uh, going to buy you a shopping cart. Joel's in a lot of pain. Oh, boy, we'll be Peter right from Axe moved freely among men. They were. T- oh, did I mention there were drugs at that time? Yeah. And then... Hi, this is Joel Hodson from Mystery Science Theater and Cinematic Titanic. You're listening to WCBN FM. Ann Arbor.